Hello, Rich Bolas here, and thank you for downloading this episode of the Dad Mindset Show. Today, I chat with endurance athlete and father of two, Stu Taylor. Stu has competed in some of the harshest multi-day self-contained bike events in the world. We discuss everything from what it's like racing across Kyrgyzstan to tandem bikepacking with children. I hope you really enjoy this chat with Stu. Stu Taylor, welcome to the show. Hey Rich, how's it going? It's good, it's good. It's very dark here, but uh, I'm, I'm jealous of the light in the background where you are. Yeah, we've got it till about 10 o'clock. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> now Stu, you're a father of two boys, you founded a brewery, you run two pubs, a coffee roastery, and on top of all that, you competed as a world-class athlete in multi-day endurance bike events, taking you all over the globe. So tell me Stu, what do you do in your spare time? bit of a spare time <laughs> there's not a lot of it to be fair but um yeah i mean obviously for the events i need to train so i need to ride my bike hit the gym running um obviously got two kids so two kids need um plenty of looking after you know to keeping them busy keeping them entertained um yeah i got two dogs <laughs> they need looking after um so yeah no it's busy really just like family life and keeping fit and um being prepared really for the work and the events yeah just not much sitting around that's all no not a lot i don't have to get to sit and watch tv or just just do not a lot really but i don't mind i don't think i'd have it any other way yeah <laughs> nice now uh, what type of events do you actually compete in and what inspired you originally Stu? basically um, I got into it towards the end of my rugby career. Um, in early days in sport, I had a condition uh, called atrial fibrillation with tachycardia, which was an irregular heartbeat, which was crazy fast <laughs> when it went off. Um, and it was always sport-induced. induced. Sorry. Um, so, you know, exercise caused it to, to jump out of rhythm and out of sync, and it could last for a few days. Um so I, I sort of kept it under control as much as I could with beta, with beta blockers. Um, but I don't know if it was getting worse as I was getting older or not, but I did have an, I had an, ish, an, ish, an episode uh, towards the end of my rugby days where I ended up being in hospital for two or three days because they, they had to monitor it. So I decided at that point um, I was going to get the operation. Like there was, It's called an ablation where they basically go up through the artery in your leg and singe a bit of tissue inside your heart. Um, fairly straightforward in terms of heart procedures. Um, Doesn't sound awesome, though. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not too good. Uh, and yeah, I mean, there was a lot. Of, there was a lot of emotional side to that as well. You know, we just had a, just had Ruben. He was, um, yeah, months old, and I'm getting wheeled into the operating theatre, having been told, you know, before you go in, the, you have got risks that you could have a stroke and one thing or another and you're getting sedated and then you worry, are you going to come around from the sedation and one thing or another? So it was pretty, it was pretty emotional. I, I was getting wheeled into the theater with a tear, uh, a tear or two running down there, down my face. But ultimately, you know, I'd end up having three procedures to get it right because each time they just do a little, singe a little bit of the heart tissue away until the, um, until basically till they, they solve the problem. Um, and then, yeah, speaking to the specialist afterwards, you know, he said that ultimately, you know, your heart's a muscle. So I said to him, well, what should I train the muscle? You know, and he was like, well, you know, if you get your heart strong, then, you know, it's likely not to come back or, you know, likely to keep, you know, to get stronger. The, the, fit, the fit and healthier you are, the better it will be. So 
that all basically led to where I am now, really. Just started training. Um, not not crazy training at the start. Um, just getting fit. And once I started feeling fit, I thought, oh, this is good. Like, and then I felt fitter and I was on no tablets and I wasn't having any symptoms from my heart. Um, because in the past, if I pushed myself, I always had the risk that my heart might jump out of rhythm. Um, where, so it had all been sorted and I could... You know, I could push it and I could go and do these events and not worry that my heart's going to uh, jump out of rhythm for a few days. Yeah, because what, uh, sort of, what sort of BPM would you get up to when it sort of went out of control? Uh, oh, it was, it was crazy. I'd go on the, I went on the, the running machine in the, in the gym at the rugby club and put the heart monitor on and the heart monitor basically, the whole, the whole machine shut down in the end because it was reaching like, it would go from sort of 360 beats a minute down to 50, <laughs> then back up, back up to 150, back up to, oh, it was just all over the place. It was so irregular. <laughs> 360. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was just up and down so much. And in the end, the running machine just switched off. <laughs> uh, it just wouldn't work because my heart was so, but, you know, yeah, I mean, amazing what they can do, you know, got it sorted out. Um, and I'm, yeah, I mean, this, that was probably, well, Ruben's 13 now, so, 13 years and I've not been I've not had an issue uh, I started off really racing locally in sort of enduro um, mini downhill type of events um, and then sort of progressed into the more multi-day enduro events um, you know like over seven days but out in France and you just you needed to do quite a bit of training to for these events to get to the top of the mountains because you basically the way it worked was there was a, a starting chip in the, on the top of the mountain. You had to get yourself there, and then you you dabbed in, and then you got time to race down the other side of the mountain, pretty much. So along with that came like came a lot of fitness, um, and with the fitness, uh, I actually one of my friends got sick, um, so I decided I wanted to raise some money for him, um, and because I was feeling fit, I sort of picked out a what I thought was a really tough challenge, uh, which was the Highland Trail. Um, 550 bikepacking race which is it's actually currently going on at the moment in uh, in Scotland as I speak um, so yeah that was no that was one of the hardest ones on the circuit so I thought it'd be perfect you know my friend's sick I need to raise some money um, so that, that I don't know, for me that was just the obvious thing to do <laughs> um, so, so um, yeah so that's that's how it started really um, so did the event and um raised a bit of money and placed quite well in the event and it sort of led from there. And it's not the sort of event that you just rock up on a Saturday and try for the first time, is it? Uh, no, I mean, it's a, so you have to call, you had to qualify for the event, which I didn't realise at the time. So me expecting to go straight into it and race it, um, it wasn't happening, um, which was a bit of a shock to, be fair, to, to me, to be fair, because I was thinking, I'll just get an entry and just go and do it. Um, but the organiser is known for being quite a hard, hard sort of straight down the, the line guy. And he was like, tell me what you've done. Um, and it, th- these races are a, bi- a self-supported bikepacking race. So um, there's no help. There's no outside assistance. You can only use commercial services. Um, so you, do, you are left to fend for yourself. And this is 550 miles around the, the, you know, the, the Scottish Highlands. So I had to go and qualify for it. So it took me... Um, Sorry, the organiser um, has got a local uh, route to me called the Lakeland 200. Um, so he told me to go and ride that and send me the send me the GPS file. I send him the GPS file and let him know, you know, how I've done to see if I could get into his event, the 550 mile. 
Um, and luckily for me, I beat his time in the, the in his own 200 route. So he had no choice then but to let me in. Um, so yeah, the, they are quite tough to get into. And I think it is, a lot of it is because there's no support. It is sort of for the safety of the riders. Yeah, and the conditions can go from you know all four seasons at any one time for ten minutes at a time, can't they? Oh yeah, I mean I've, the the actual event I've done twice now, um, and the first time, the first time was actually the best the best weather. You know, I took waterproofs and didn't use them. To put waterproof shorts and just had to take just roll them off. You know, didn't didn't wear them. And then the last time I did it was it was the worst weather there's ever been. Um, <laughs> and, I, and you did I take it. I actually I did. Oh yeah, look, everything everything was wet through in the first eight hours of the ride. Um, <laughs> I was out there to beat. I was out there just to beat my time. Um, after the first day, I was sort of ten hours behind schedule, um, and then ultimately in the end, I didn't finish the event. I took the I took the short route back because it was it just wasn't safe. Yeah, um, and mo- most people were were scratching from the event at that time. So, and the organizer scratched. He said it wasn't safe out there because rivers were. Rivers had appeared where there weren't rivers, oh, and, <laughs> and small small streams had turned into raging torrents, and they were washing people down down off the bikes and all sorts. So, yeah, so we just I just had a wet few days on the bike, really. <laughs> yeah, because these events will last for days and days, won't they? Like you get wet in the first day, yeah. and it's yeah, it's going to have severe yeah. impacts down the track. Yeah, I mean, my my so my first attempt at the at the event, I was hoping for five and a half days. Which I thought would be a really good time, um, and I surprised myself. I did in four days, uh, four days and six hours. Um, so you are out, you know, you're out there for a good length of time. So if you're wet through in the first, the first day, and you and the forecast isn't looking any better, you're going to have to try and deal with being wet for four, five, six days. Depends on, on yeah. the speed. Not not awesome. <laughs> no, not too great. <laughs> not too great. Now, I mean, Stu, I, I wanted to ask you also, like, how did you actually get into mountain biking originally? Because that was quite a, a turn in the road for you, figuratively yeah, and literally, uh, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I'd always, I've always been in sports, so uh, football, rugby. Um, and I suppose towards the end of my rugby playing days, although I still do the odd, still have the odd game now. Um, well, basically, um, had our first child, and Ruben came along, and sort of rugby started going to one side, and to fill its place, I started riding, started biking. Uh, I always, I always biked a little bit, but just not as much as what I started to do. So, uh, the mountain biking sort of replaced the rugby, and the fact that I could do the mountain biking in in amongst feeding times for for Ruben, um, it just you know it just it fit in perfectly. Ah, cool. Now you have an epic tandem bike that you and your other son Zach go bike packing on. So, can you explain what bike packing is and uh, like when Zach became really keen on it? Yeah. So, bike packing itself is is it's almost like bike touring. Uh, I suppose the, the cool the cool word at the moment is bike packing. So, basically, you load your bike up with all your gear, you know, your food, your your tent, your sleeping bags, all your spares, your electronics basically whatever you want to carry um, and away you go. Um, and an ultimate of that is bikepacking. Um, you don't have to go far or you can go as long as you want. It, it's just, yeah, it's just, it's like, it's like a new name for the like bike touring. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So basically Zach has obviously seen me, seen and witnessed me do different events and he's always asking dad, can I come dad, can I come? Um, 
so I started off with a couple of small local rides within just um, one of them was to the top of the local fell. We just went, we went, it was actually on bonfire night. So we, we biked up to the top of the fell and uh, watched a bonfire. We, you know, loaded all the tents onto our bikes, watched a bonfire and the fireworks from the top of the fell, camped up there for the night. And then base, basically Zach was lucky enough to roll down from the fell straight to school the next morning. <laughs> That's a cool way to start the day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. His teachers was like, "What?" You know, his teacher loved it. She was, she was, she couldn't believe that he just he'd slept at the top of the fell, and we didn't go home or anything. Just took his school stuff with her, just rolled straight down into the school playground <laughs> on his bike with all his gear. Now, <laughs> now with a tandem cool. though, you roll downhill a lot quicker than normal, don't you? Because there's a lot more weight on the same yeah, two yeah. wheels. Yeah, it's like it's like a monster truck. <laughs> yeah, if anything gets in your way, you just plow through it. You, you said um, there was one time when you you looked to the side and saw the shadow of Zach doing like a Superman behind, <laughs> wasn't there? Yeah, well, he likes his downhills. Zach really likes the downhills, and he's telling he's always egging me on. He's like. It's like a jockey whipping a horse, basically. Somebody's shouting at me, faster, faster. So, you know, you get going, and yeah, we hit some, we hit some rocks, and uh, yeah, he bounced off, he bounced off the pedals, and was literally like Superman off the back. It landed back on the saddle, and just loved it. It's like faster. <laughs> no, it, so I do plan on getting. Sorry, I do plan on getting him some pedals that he can clip in to try and prevent that. <laughs> yeah, the, the not so exciting pedals. <laughs> No, no. <laughs> now, where does the uh, hashtag ride don't stop come from? Um, well, that came from um, from Zach. I mean, Zach was racing in some events called the Highland Hardline, and it was downhill races for, um, I think the youngest was eight, at, at which time Zach started. Um, so it was eight-year-olds up to, up to I think, 16-year-olds. Um, so they're up in the Highlands, which is about six hours from where we live. So we were having to go on a Friday during school time, uh, which school were happy with because it was sport and it was educational. So, um, yeah, the, the school were encouraging Zach to keep a diary for for the events. So we were talking in the car, in the van on the way up, and he was like, he was getting a bit nervous on, you know, what does he do if he can't ride it and stuff like that. And then I was just saying, well, you just have to keep riding. And then I looked across because he had the laptop on his knee whilst we were driving, and he, and he titled the his school homework ride don't stop <laughs> so it. that's where it came from yeah that's <laughs> where it came from so he uh, yeah we ended up getting stickers made and all sorts for it that's cool it's uh because it's all yeah. over your instagram page and everything <laughs> it's a great yeah, mantra just keep for tagging it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now it, it's yeah. pretty clear why you're sponsored by sonder and Alpkit. and uh, can you talk about how zach became a bike ambassador um yeah it started off with it was it was demoing um kids bikes um, for, for a company called Early Rider Bikes. Um, so Which are amazing. For, <laughs> They're the best way yeah, to yeah, teach really, kids. Yeah, 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 really good bikes. Um, so we did, a, we did a review for Single Track Mountain Bike Magazine um, about the bikes, and then they sort of became an ambassador for Early Rider. And uh, just recently, he's sort of outgrown the Early Rider bikes because they stop at a 24-inch wheel, and he's now on a, he's actually now on a 650 wheel. So um, he's now joined me on the Sonder team. So we've got like father and father and son on the Sonder team. So yeah, he's now uh, sort of a little ambassador for Sonder bikes. Oh, he must be loving it. <laughs> oh yeah, he is. <laughs> Problem is, he's catching me up now. He's, he's getting to the point where he's actually going to be passing me soon. Yeah, and, and I don't know whether it was the same for you, but like pre kids, 
and post kids, there's a different level, like threshold for for risk that you're willing to take. You probably nudge it more than me, but um, I reckon well, he's coming into that teen area where like fear just doesn't even register. <laughs> no, no. I mean, um, yeah, I got a little story recently. We when he got his his bike off Sonda, um, there's a local a local another local fell which got some some decent jumps and drops in, um, and Zach's been wanting to do this drop. It's probably about seven foot a little gap over a little path gap onto a little rocky landing. Um, anyway, Zach went to have a look at it, came back the next day and, and sent it off this drop. Uh, it's, it's amazing. Got some good photos and stuff like, and I'd not done it because I was sort of like, I'm there with, I mean, I've done it before, but at this point I'd not done it. Um, cause I was looking after him and I didn't want to come. I didn't want anything to happen to me because he'd have to, <laughs> to mop me up. Yeah. So, so to speak. Anyway, the um, we came back a week later and he's going, right, Dad, you're going to do it. I was like, yeah, go on then, I'll do it. Sure enough, went off it, crashed, <laughs> uh, seven seven stitches in my elbow, elbow got infected, <laughs> four days in hospital. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I was a bit of a I was a bit of a laughing stock because people were saying that Zach had uh, Zach had landed it and I hadn't. He's pa- anyway. past his old man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's past it. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I saw those photos actually. That was a pretty gnarly cut on your elbow. Like we're yeah, talking was, more like a deep gash and like four days of infected arm. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it wasn't too great. But anyway, I've got, I've, I've still got to go back and do it again. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it keeps reminding me about it. Yeah. Now, um, with the boys, I mean, because there's Ruben as well. Like, what's the best holiday you've actually had with both the boys? Um. Probably, to be honest, one of the most recent ones we've had. Um, I ended up uh, through work, we, we bought a new van, a new panel van, and we, we picked the van up on the Thursday and literally set off on a road trip in it on Friday, on the Friday. Um, it's just a panel van, though, no nothing in it in the back or anything. So we've got three hammocks at home. So got the three hammocks, <laughs> tied them up in the back, um, loaded all our bikes paddle boards, everything, just chucked all them in, the, in underneath. And we spent sort of 10 days touring around Scotland and uh, roughing it in car parks on Fort William downhill circuit, um, <laughs> sleeping, sleeping in the hammocks. It was awesome. That's great because most people would tend to think of putting all the gear above the bed, whereas you just yeah. like, flipped it. <laughs> yeah, it was just the easiest thing I had. I was like, let's just hang the hammock, hammocks up. Yeah, what, like, what sort of hammocks you know, are they? Um. Just like the the um, the really lightweight sort of material. ones. It's like a yeah, real lightweight, like ripstop material. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were good. Um, did have one little issue where I'd, to try and take some pressure off the panel of the van, I tied some rope through to to um, to sort of to, to absorb a bit of the pressure, and the the rope over a couple of days had frayed, which I'd not noticed, and did snap during the night. <laughs> <laughs> what with the all which in was there? quite. Ha- with us all in, yeah, which was quite handy having all the gear below because it was cushioning the landing a little bit. <laughs> Good job the mountain bikes were on the bottom and the subs were on top. <laughs> like... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, because you, I remember you mentioning previously, Zach was super proud of not brushing his teeth for like eight days or something as well, wasn't he? <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, I was. We, we we were rough with it. Look, like we were just sleeping in the car park at um, at Fort William because it's you know the weather was amazing. Um, and it's just it's just a downhill world, which which we all love, really. So we were biking through the day, back to the van, cooking at the van. But no, like I'd get bottles of water and say, right, come on, brush your teeth. And it'd be like the, <laughs> the longer it went on, it was like a bigger challenge to not brush your teeth. 
um, but you know, you're on holiday, aren't you? We all stunk, you know, yeah. we didn't have showers. So um I'm sure there were plenty yeah, no, of rivers. Was, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we did have, eventually we did have a dip in the river. But yeah, no, it was it was cool. Uh, and then when the weather turned, we set off and we went to the beach. Um and stayed in the beach we just we just toured around we just followed the sun and just did what we wanted in the van it was cool it's so good isn't it like the holidays that my friend um my friend has said on the show previously that you know they did all this planning and and then the the best holiday or the thing that the, the their daughter liked the most about the holiday was the bus to the festival that they were going to like yeah we rode the yeah. bus like yeah. sometimes you just can't yeah. call it like i think you mentioned you've no. been to disneyland and all those sort of places and yet the panel van it's the best holiday yeah ever. the panel yeah yeah well, I mean, we just set off. We didn't know where we were going to sleep. We just literally set off from home. Um, and just, yeah, we didn't know. We just knew where we were heading to. We were going to ride Fort William at some point, but we, we wanted to see some beaches, so we just set off. Um, and that's, the, that's I mean, the, the good thing with the van as well, you can, you can, and in Scotland, you can do the wild camping. You can literally just stay, stay wherever you want. Yeah, you can just pull cool. into a lay-by, basically, can't you? Yeah, we tried to get. I mean, there was a, we tried to get nice places. So I mean, the car park at Fort William. It, if you get, it is quite. It's not like a, a town car park. You know, it's it's in the it's in the woods and it, it's not. It's okay. And there's a few bikers there. There's a nice little atmosphere. Yeah. But we had some we had some beach. You know, we parked on the side of a beach, um, and camped there. So yeah, it was. We looked for the nicer places rather than just like a, a box under car park. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> cool. Now, um, what was your own upbringing like, Stu? Um, yeah, it was good. I mean, my, in terms of my parents, they split up when I was younger. Um, I don't really remember a lot about that. I think I was probably like nine or 10. Um, but no, it was good. I mean, life was just, you went, you know, went to the dads at the weekend, went home with mum during the week. Um, I mean, it was almost, <laughs> sounds a bit daft, but it almost felt quite good because you'd get two birthday presents. <laughs> you'd get two lots of Christmas presents. You know, you'd get loads of Easter eggs. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I mean, as a kid, I mean, yeah, it, it was just fairly, from memory, it was fairly straightforward. You know, it's just something that happened and we just, you know, you went to see your dad at the weekend. And we, were, we lived in the same village, you know, very close. So it, we could we could almost like, you know, walk around, walk around and see him and then just walk home and stuff like that. So it was, yeah, but it was good. Um, yeah, no, it was good. So, yeah. Yeah. Good I mean, what sort of, um, what was your own, like, I suppose, like, do you have any sort of things you took away from the way your dad brought you up? Anything that's um, sort of you've taken on? Yeah, there's a few, you know, you know, the kids, my dad used to, you know, dad was like big on honesty. So, you know, sometimes, he'd, you know, he'd make, well, he'd make me work for my pocket money and things. He wouldn't just, you know, wouldn't just give me money for the sake of it. So be like, right, you know, go and go and fill the log store or whatever it may be. Um, and then you, you know, to make you sort of to earn your earn your money. Um, which I try and do with the kids, you know, so if they want the if you know, I they'll go and do jobs in the garden, go and mow, mow the lawn and they'll get a fiver or whatever it may be. Um so I try to do the same thing. Um yeah, other things I'm try, I was trying to think about it and he was I just wrote down before, actually, before we started the interview, he used to say things to me like, there's no such word as can't. Because right. I'd be like, oh, I can't do it. I can't do it. And he'd be like, well, you've not even tried. <laughs> you know, so and then, and I, yeah, it just came to me before the interview. So that's that's one of the things I would probably, which I do do to, to the kids as well now. So, well, just try it first. Don't You know, you can't say you can't do it because you've not even tried to do it yet. Yeah. On on whatever, you know, whatever that may be. 
um, whether it's schoolwork or whether it's some something I mean, physical outside or whatever it may be. It's just, you know, just give it a try and see what happens. Yeah. I think that builds a resilience in the kids as well. Yeah, yeah definitely. And, and an expectation that they can figure it out, like everything's figureoutable sort of thing. Yeah, totally, totally. Yeah, I mean, I would, I'd leave the kids to try and work it out as opposed to just tell them how to do it straight away. Um, <laughs> and sometimes they get frustrated. But I'm like, I'll just like, right, we'll work it out and then I'll tell you how. And they're like, how do you do it? And then you show them and, it, and they're like, we'll just work it out. You know? And then they'll be like, oh, you, they can't do it. And you show them and it's so easy. And yeah. they're like, oh, yeah. But, <laughs> but yeah, no, so... That's a really great yeah, point, though, Stu. I mean, like, because if, if if you just, it's like if someone has a problem in I don't know maths and they look at the the back of the textbook to look at the answer first and then and then go through it again, you're not actually figuring out the problem. You're you're sort of reverse yeah. engineering the problem, where it, like showing them. Whereas if they at least put some pre- uh, pressure onto it and go, oh, how am I going to do this? Go through the process. You can show them after yeah. they've had a good tilt. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, with the obviously with with um, with everything that's gone on recently, the pandemic and everything, the homeschooling that was a big one. That was a big thing as with Zach in particular, because I was having to, you know each day I was having to be his teacher, which was, that was quite a challenge at times. It took me you know, a while to work out how to do it because you know sometimes sometimes homeschooling just meant going out on your bike, yeah, um, because the schoolwork wasn't happening. Um, but again, with the schoolwork, they got the answers to it all. And you know, as a as a ten year old lad, you're just going to look at the answer. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty tempting. So it would, yeah. So we would try and look at the answers because it would all be on the same page, or be on the back of the page yeah. he was, that he was working on. And then I'd say, right, well, show me how to work it out. And he was like, well, I've got the answer. But, <laughs> so that was a bit of a challenge. But again, like they've got to work, you know, they've got to work these things out. Like it doesn't, I don't think it really helps giving them the answer first. Not at all. No, no, no. I mean, I was looking at your Instagram feed and I love the, the homeschooling day you had where you went studying geology and then jumping off it. <laughs> oh yeah. The local limestone and yeah. the local rocks. Yeah. yeah well, <laughs> I was just, cause he's, the thing is his teacher, um, his, we're friend, his teacher's friends, friends and follows me on Instagram. So if Zach's out there, we were like look, showing that we were doing schoolwork, you know. Yeah. But it was, I mean, it was good. We did, we generally did actually like, you know, not for too long, but we went through like, you know, that rock is and, and he was like, right, come on then, let's jump off it now. <laughs> yeah, that's enough talking about it, Dad. But, I want to yeah. jump off it. <laughs> yeah. But he knows, that, he knows that limestone can be slippy when it's wet on, on the bike and stuff like that. So he's, le- <laughs> yeah. he's learning. <laughs> and, and talking about his teacher, he's actually competed against his teacher, hasn't he? Uh, yeah, he has. It was actually the uh, the first bikepacking event that he's done, uh, or we've done on the tandem. Um, and I think it was responsible for, for keeping him going, the fact that he had his, ch- his teacher chasing him down. Um, yeah, so when we were packing for the event, uh, I didn't want to take any lights. I didn't want to be, I didn't want to force Zach to ride in the dark. I didn't want to be, be that dad that forced him to do something that he didn't want to do. So I took no lights, thinking we'll have a, you know, we'll have some, have some tea and we'll camp up early. And yeah, sure enough, Zach's got to, uh, my iPhone and his phone with the torches on, and we're still riding at midnight. <laughs> <laughs> Two iPhones, just <laughs> cool. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we got to the top of, it was up a big climb. So we got to the top of the climb and I was like, I'm not riding downhill on a tandem <laughs> off road with two iPhones as lights. Cause apart from the fact, if he's holding the two phones. Yeah. I was going to say, has he actually, actually hanging on? <laughs> he's actually not holding on to the bike. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, we were pushing. It was a big push up, so we were pushing up in the dark with these two phones, and he was lighting the way. And uh, yeah, so we just camped at the top of the hill. Um, so when you say we were pushing yeah. up, he was holding the iPhones. <laughs> That's still two hands. <laughs> he was holding. Yeah, yeah, he was holding the phones. I'm pushing a, a big heavy bike up a big uh, rocky climb in the Lake District. But um, yeah, we got there. We had a, you know in an ace camp, a little bit midgy at the top, um, but um, I think we were camped up by about half twelve, something like that. Um, and we was we were up again for six, and away yeah. So we worked at sort of six hours kip. I thought I thought would be enough for him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, sure enough, he was up. He was chomping at the bit because he was thinking his school teacher was behind. Oh, so yeah. So he actually beat him in the yeah. end. Yeah, we um, we got to the finish line, and Zach would not get off the finish line till his teacher came over the line <laughs> so that he could jump, so that he could jump up and down and cheer because he'd beat him. We were sat there for four hours. <laughs> <laughs> um and he's not letting him live that down to this day so um yeah i, I guess that's where he gets his uh, we know where he gets his competitive spirit from <laughs> yeah <laughs> no, um, no, no it's good what actually goes through your head when you're competing in the the multi-day endurance like races across somewhere like kyrgyzstan because you've done some pretty gnarly events haven't you Stu? yeah yeah i've done some big events some big some um well yeah silk road Silk Road Mountain Race in Kyrgyzstan, um, French Divide, you know, two really long events um, where I'm out on the bike for sort of 11, 10, 11 days. Um, but somewhere like Kyrgyzstan where there's very little um, in between anything really um, and the food, potentially you've got to be really wary on what you eat out there because of hygiene and there's, you know, there's no, if you get, you get invited into yurts, for example, all the time, but you go into a yurt and they're offering you some, some food, particularly meat, they've got no fridges, you know, yeah. so there's not, you know, they might, they're used to it, they're used to it, but uh, for us, it can, uh, yeah, it can give you a serious, serious bad, but, but, uh, and that would be a issues. bit shit. <laughs> <laughs> Literally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So for me, really something like that, you know, it, it becomes, it becomes a bit of a matter of survival to an extent, as in you just focusing on where, you, you know, you think where you're going to sleep, how long you're going to ride for, and you're getting this, so actually a really amazing routine of each day of where, right, you ride your bike. You, know, you have a sort of rough idea. I would sort of, for Kyrgyzstan, for example, would be aiming to ride till um, at least midnight. And then anything after that was a bonus. So I'd go to at least midnight and I'd be up riding again for six in the morning. So I'd, I'd aim, because it was so long, I'd aim on like six hours a night. But quite often I'd be riding till two in the morning and just, but I'd still get up at six, so I'd have my four hours. But each day just becomes a bit of a focus on um, where your next meal is going to come from, depending on what you've got in your but like, because you'll carry food with you, um, but not you know. But if you're passing through a town, try and find something like that's different. <laughs> um, but Ky- Kyrgyzstan, anyone that you speak to in that event will just the first thing they'll probably say to you is Snickers, because <laughs> everywhere you go, that's all they sell is Snickers bars. You would be going in and buying ten Snickers bars. And you just you just end up living well, yeah. You just live off of anything that you can get hold of, yeah. Um, And there's so short supply, you know, as well, Um, and drinks and water. And um, I just had a water filter. I was drinking from rivers because it was a safer way than potentially drinking from some of the shops because they would refill the water bottles from their tap, yeah. So the water bottle wouldn't be sealed, or they'd have like the fermented milk as an option but again it was it was it became it became sort of like self-management to make sure that you could stay fit and healthy if you could stay healthy and get to the end you know 
you know you were in with a you were in with a good chance. And the aim is just to fin- you know to finish an event of that distance and and over that time because um, there's such a big a big dropout of of participants. Yeah, that getting to getting to the end is is like number one priority, <laughs> and then then the result sort of takes takes care of itself after that. Yeah, survival is a great sort of uh, marketing advantage <laughs> or competitive advantage. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. and then um, because you talked about how signal was dropping in and out, and you'd get these occasional messages as well from the kids. Yeah, no, it was amazing. I mean, that's little things like that would keep you going. Like, I, I don't, I don't listen to music when I'm riding. A lot of people would do, but I don't. I just, I quite like to be, and it sounds, it sounds a bit deep, but I quite like to be at one with nature. You know, I hear the different countries, different animals, diff, you know, there's the birds, and I don't know, just the sound of your tires as well. You know, it just, yeah. Um, but yeah, every now and again, you know, I'd turn my phone on. Sometimes you turn it on, and nothing would happen because there'd be no signal. Um, and then I would turn it on in the tent at night. For example, you might get you get like a message come through, and you can see it, but you can't open it because it's not a strong enough <laughs> signal. So it's so frustrating. But then, yeah, but then every now and again you get one through from the kids, and they'd be there with the picture saying "Good luck, Dad," or "Keep going," or "You're doing awesome." And they're drawn and like you know, like kids would do, drawing a drawing a poster and they're holding it up, and yeah, stuff like that really keeps you going. Yeah. Now, yeah. can you talk about not packing your fears? Yeah, well, that's something that I, I don't even know where I got it from. I don't know if I read it or if I came up with it. It just, it just, it just happened. Uh, so this was on the first event, the Highland 550, and I'd never done an event like this before. Um, I'm trying to pack my bike, and I'm almost like need a car. I've got so much kit to <laughs> try and put sink. on my bike. <laughs> yeah, everything. So I, I got all the gear out, started packing the bike, and like, this is not all going on my bike, or if, you know, I'm not going to be able to ride. Um, so then. You started speaking to other people, getting some advice from people. And they're like, well, get all, everything out that you want and then get rid of half of it. <laughs> and then straight away, just get rid of half of it because there'll be too much stuff. And then try and pack your bike. Pack your bike and then get rid of half of it again. And ultimately, through through this process, it, it just came that... So your fears were, say you might worry that you'd rip a rear mech off. And I did have a spare rear mech that I was going to take with me. And... It, that's what it was all about. So all these spare parts that you think, oh, what if I rip a rear mech off my bike? Yeah. Or what if this breaks? What if that breaks? It's just all extra luggage which you've got to carry. And um, yeah, so don't pack your fears was just like my like my motto, and that's what I go by now um, when I'm packing for you know for a long distance event. I'll probably just pack equivalent to what we'll do for a weekend ride in terms of spares because you've got to sort of you've got to expect if you have a mechanical that is unrepairable. It's unrepairable. It's index anyway. You know, it's, yeah. Yeah, it's end, yeah. So yeah, I mean, I did. I the last big event that I did, um, the Atlas Mountain Race in Morocco. Um, day one, I snapped a spoke, which isn't a big issue. You know, I've done events before. I've snapped a spoke. Um, don't take any spare spokes because if you snap one or you know one or two, it's fine. So day one, I snapped one. Day two, I was up to five, oh, no. five spokes. Yeah, and then. I'm sure it was by the end of day two, maybe even day three morning. I can't remember the timing now. Um, I ended up with eight spokes missing, just as and I'd got through. I'd got into the middle of the most exposed area of the um, of the event. So it was 100 kilometers of absolutely nothing in the baking heat. 50, literally bang in the middle of it. Another, and I lost my eight spoke, and my back wheel was like a Pringle. It was all over the place. Um, but we had, a, had like a big downhill to get out. 
Um, he just and he was really exposed, big mountain ledges, something that I wouldn't you know wouldn't hesitate to ride normally, uh, but he just wasn't safe. So you know I had to scratch from the event, I'd, because you know it just wasn't safe to ride my bike with the spokes missing. And people would say to me, "Why didn't you take any spare spokes?" But the spokes snapped on the cassette side. So I wouldn't have been able to change the cassette. Yeah, because you didn't have I wouldn't have been able to, to get because I'd have to take the cassette off. So this yeah. is again, this is all your fears that add up. So yeah, no, I just don't pack your fears. And if something like that happens, then you know you take it on the chin. And uh, when I'm racing there in October this year, so you go back and go back and get redemption. Yeah, I like it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, so, yeah, don't pack your fears. It's, it's interesting you say that because like I I went for my first bike packing trip three weeks ago and it was epic yeah. we cycled from yeah, it's amazing like yeah. Torquay to apollo bay there's like 11 guys and and we didn't take extra we took tools like for changing punctures and stuff and we did have a puncture within the first hour but um there's yeah. there's a lot of bush mechanics going on at one stage because it's like 150k of like some pretty like we had some bigger ascents, not not compared to what you yeah. do but there's like 6k of ascent on the f- sunday morning and uh, yeah. and one of the guys like um a pannier that sheared the the nut, uh, sorry, the bolt on the pannier. So we're having to like yeah. reattach that with. We had some gaffer tape and some cable ties. Yeah. It was that sort of stuff we had between us all. Yeah. But yeah, it was it was actually really good to know that we didn't need to take all the tools. You could just take some rudimentary stuff and just sort of yeah. you know patch it up and still get through. Even though on the downhills there's some gear flying around and wobbling all <laughs> over the shop, but it was such a good feeling of complete. I reckon it was freedom, like complete freedom, because you have yeah. all your camp gear, your, your food, everything, your water on your back, whatever, and you just you can stay anywhere you want. I, I loved it. I, yeah. I really want to get into it. And um, yeah. so I was going to ask you, Stu, like, what advice would you have for bike packing with kids? Because I really want to start taking the kids on on these sort of adventures. Um, well, first of all, if it's the first time, I would say just potentially don't go too far don't force it you know the kids need to have fun um i mean i always say it's child management I, i've just got to manage zach and make sure he's all right so the first event the first time we did it um i put a bluetooth speaker cable tied a bluetooth speaker to the bike i put uh, i put a little ipad in the back of my rucksack so he could potentially play on that while we were riding um hey keep pedaling though keep pedaling <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, in the end, he didn't. He played a bit of music through the speaker, but I had everything there. Just, you know, kids are unpredictable. You know, they can be fine one minute and not the next. So I had plenty of sweets. I had just plenty of food to make sure they didn't get, you know, hangry, as they call it. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, no, it was good. And I would just, yeah, I just say, just focus on the kids and have fun and you don't, don't force it too much. Yeah, nice. Really. Now, um, what's the next adventure you guys are going on? Um, well, myself and Zach, we've got a, a 600 kilometer ride, which is basically coast to coast uh, from um, Arnside, which is sort of 10 miles away from where we live, across to the other side of the UK and back again um, of an off, off-road off road route. Um, where Zach's raising money, so he's sort of taken note because I've done it in the past, so he's raising money for a cancer charity because um, his granddad's been suffering. So he's quite keen to, to do that and he's raised a good lump of money already. So we're just waiting for a bit of a break in the weather to go back and, well, to say to go back, sorry, because we'd had a, we've had an attempt at it and we the back wheel, so again, about packing your fears, the back wheel bearings and the, the free hub collapse in the wheel. 
So we had to basically we just came home. Um, so we're just waiting for another break in the weather because it's been a bit a bit wet for the last few weeks uh, to go back and and start it again. So hopefully in the, in the next week or two we'll get a we'll get a second attempt at it. Yeah. And um, what's the yeah. charity's name in case anyone wants to uh, get on board and and sponsor you? It's Clatterbridge Cancer Charity. Uh, it's a it's a treatment centre where his granddad's been attending. Um, and yeah, really good cause, really worthy cause. Um, obviously, all the you know all the cancer charities is amazing, doing an amazing job. Um, so yeah, Zach's keen to keen to get on and get raising some more, and also for the fact that his granddad said once he's finished it that he'll give him fifty quid. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, he's got an added incentive because he'll get fifty quid for himself if he finishes it. So uh, yeah, it's cool. We're, no. keen to, we're just waiting for a break in the weather. Yeah. And um, like he, he um, his granddad must be super proud of him as well. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, all the family are, and I mean, teachers, and he's just doing such a, you know, he's a big thing. He's you know, eleven years old, six hundred kilometers, and you know, people say, "Oh, is he actually pedaling on the back?" I mean, I couldn't do it without him. You know, some of the hills were getting up. You know, he can he can have a rest on the flats, and he can lift his feet off the pedals, but when it comes to the climbing, he needs to be giving me like. Not all he's got, but he needs to be giving me something to get this, <laughs> this machine up this hill. Yeah, no free rides. No, no. But, and then obviously we enjoy the downhill, and you know, it's, you know he's got to sit on the for six hundred kilometers. We, you know, we're hoping for sort of four days, but who knows? It's all on weather. Um, so yeah, he's got to, you know he's got to sit on that saddle for four days. So got to make sure that everything's not you know doesn't get sore and one thing or another. <laughs> well. So, well, well, Stu, uh, I wish you guys all the best. I think this is a really good uh, place to wrap that up. What I'll do, I'll actually put a link to the um, the charity in the show notes as well. So if anyone does want right, to sort cool. of sponsor Zach and yourself, that would be awesome. And um, I just want to say thank you so much for, for your time as well, Stu. I really appreciate you, you know, making the effort to uh, share some of your thoughts. Talk to you. It's been brilliant. Thanks ever so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Stu as much as I did. If you want to reach out to him, check out his Instagram account, or if you'd like to donate to the Clatterbridge Cancer Charity, I've put links in the show notes at thedadmindset.com. Well, that's all from me for now. I hope you stay safe and sane, and until next time, enjoy your caffeinated beverage. (laughs) 